Well, hello there and welcome to another episode here on the Green Living Chat podcast. As we get ready to wrap up season three of this podcast, I'm super excited to be bringing you just another interesting conversation about a man who is changing the narrative by promoting the agenda of going back to nature and providing food security solutions. Today's conversation is going to be with Bath Organic Farm and Agritech from Ghana. My guest today is Baf Che Frimpong, who hails from the Ashanti region in Ghana, but left Ghana in 1991 and lived in the US, but finally moved back in 2009 and out of food security concerns, he decided to grow what he eats as a hobby and finally look at the potential in converting it into a business. His dream is to teach people the essence of eating organically and using food as medicine and medicine as food. So he created Bath Organic Farm and Agrotech, which is a real estate slash agro business startup. They are leading the charge for urban farming in Africa. They aim to create worth opportunities through sustainable living and agrotech. Over the years, they have come up with innovative solutions in Ghana's urban and organic farming space. And through research and lots of experience on the job, they have developed a quality planting medium to provide training and guidance to numerous urban farmers. So today we had a super exciting conversation and as you can hear from their background, it's just exciting to hear someone talk about their passion. In today's conversation, we dived into his background and how life was in the US and coming back to Ghana, turning all the loopholes that he saw into an opportunity for the future. So let's dive into this amazing conversation with Bafo Che Frimpong and I really know that you're going to enjoy this conversation so why don't you share this conversation with someone who really needs to hear this and let's get more people to hear about Bath Organic Farm and Agrotech. Before we dive into it we are preparing to sign off for season three of this podcast and I'm super excited about the preparations and everything we are putting together for season four. So stick around with us. Daniel and I will be coming again in a couple of weeks with our sign-off episode. Wrapping up the season and telling you what you should expect in season four. But before that, let's dive into the conversation today with Bafo. You are listening to the Green Living Chat podcast, a podcast where we discuss emerging environmental issues around the world and to find sustainable solutions. I'm your host, David Ewisimensa. We use this platform to support environmental-related initiatives, researches, and projects. This podcast is brought to you by Equamet Solutions in Ghana with a mission to going back to green. So join us on this train with new episodes this and every Sunday. Here we go. Hello, Mr. Bafo. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Green Living Chat podcast. It's exciting to get interaction with you because I think that the job that you're doing in Ghana is super amazing. And I, I really can't wait to share your story and, I mean, all the amazing things that you're doing uh, with your company and your farm. 
I see the excitement that you talk about, you know, the things that you do about nature, growing uh, crops and, you know, all those things. But I mean, I want us to step back a little bit, get to know more about, you know, you growing up, what are some of the things that you picked up growing up that has brought you to this level? Or maybe it could be the opposite. Where did you go? To which extent did you travel? And now you realize that, oops, it's time for, for me to go back to nature. What is your story? How was it for you growing up? And what are some of the experiences that you have gathered along the way? I would say it's sort of a mix. Of, uh, like growing up, I grew up after going to bed. And my grandmother was a local farmer, so I used to visit her. I happened to be a queer. I was very close to her. Then my parents lived outside. So when my father came, relocated back to Ghana, he started poultry farm. But uh, we lived in Tansoman, where it's an estate, so there was not much space. But I remember growing up, every little space I get, I tried to grow something. <laughs> and I've always had sort of interest in, you know, growing and farming extent, but unfortunately going to school I deviated entirely to finance. Mm, uh, interesting. Yes. And uh in America, I left Ghana I was nineteen. So I went to Fordham University. I did finance and uh at one point I realized it wasn't my it wasn't me. So I I switched back and went to do a course associate degree in uh, environmental science where I became an industrial hygienist. Oh. And uh, it worked over they were just informing EPA laws and you know, more of environmental issues. But uh, coming back to Ghana, I felt like I couldn't use it. But then I saw a sense of food security because the high end hotels and everybody that everywhere you go is like they all go to the same source for their produce yeah. and not knowing exactly what it, what it takes. Seeing people carrying food in here and also seeing the rate at which people are having disease like diabetes and uh, kidney issues. And I was trying to see if I have to settle in Ghana, then I have to look at it where I, I mean, the best way to live. So, mostly when I'm coming up, sort of I'll import, I'll ship in my groceries and stuff, but I thought it wasn't practical. <laughs> yeah. Even I, to the extent that my own water, I'll bring it in. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like, listen, why don't I just look into a better way of doing it? So I, I met a friend who was, who was doing something small in his house. And then I was bored. So I'm like, listen, out of boredom and curiosity, let me start something. So I will go to the market, handpick my stuff. And when I come, I will start growing the seeds myself in my house. I live by East Lagos. But then it came to mind also to realize that some of the produce that we do, where you buy from the shop. When you grow, some of them cannot regrow, or if when they grow, they can bear fruit. So I started looking into it, and I heard about the F1 seeds, the GMOs and stuff. Yeah. So then that antenna of security strike that level. If before, the old practice or the traditional practice was you save 10% of your harvest for seeds. But here you are, you are growing, buying food, but then the same seeds that you're getting no, some of them don't even have seeds. And if they do, you can't replant them. Mm-hmm. So then what do we do? So I started looking into it for helium seeds and also the traditional indigenous stuff that we have. That if I can feed them. So then being a business person, my mind started striking. 
dialogue. If we don't take time, the time will come. We, our own food has to be sourced out from somewhere. So that caution gave me a sense of trying to do that myself. Then also, I looked at the soil. I bought a, a whole truck of black soil. And it was nothing but full of acidic stuff, you know, metal and all that. <laughs> so uh, I'm like, uh, if plant needs 25% nutrients from the soil, which contains all the microorganisms. And the way we do our soil here, or our waste management, we dump all the toxic in it. And how safe is the, how safe is the black soil we call black soil? So I looked into other medium by which we can plant. So I started being creative a bit by taking, you know, biodegradable stuff like the rice hacks, mushroom waste from the compost, animal waste from putting it together. And I realized it became a better medium because the porosity was great, the nutrients was there, and it was able to degrade quicker. And I started using it. So I'm like, I know I'm, I'm enjoying it. People were giving me compliments and stuff. So after a little while, I started saying, why don't I come to and settle in Ghana? But looking at the kind of hard life in America, working every day and stuff, I didn't <laughs> want to come and do that yet. Exactly. So I wanted something that is more relaxing, and but of course, eventually can give me some good support. So I thought this would be. And looking at the numbers, it made sense. Except that the market was not all that ready for it. So I said, okay, let me start from you know Harvey and see even if I can just meet my investment. I mean. It'll be okay for me. At least I know I'm guaranteed my food, and you know, it's, if something lower can come out of the school, so that's how I started. But looking at with this new world, as I call it now, coming, it now made more sense for me to look at it extensively, and also seeing how I can play a role in the change, which is inevitable because now with this social distancing, the farmers are not you're going to hit them hard. So in that case, there's going to be food shortage, food security. Not every country is going to export their assets because for security, why they need to keep it for their people. And looking around, I realized that our system of agriculture is not so sustainable because mainly dependent on the on land, which you've already contaminated most of the land. And second, water and uh, cost of even land. In the inner cities where I live, or, you know, there are no more farmlands. And with this corona coming, these logistics are going to be hard to transport food and stuff. So life in the city was going to be hard. So I decided to look into urban sustainable living and see how I can develop it as a business and also help people to understand and maybe look into their own sustainability. But in the city, what I also realized was that before, you see people have excess land when they grow a little bit around. But now most of the real estate, they tell the whole place or the whole place exactly. is complicated. Yeah. So there's no land. So then we have to look at how do you grow without land? Vertical farming, uh, container farming, and other stuff. So it came from how much waste in the system that we can convert. Instead of this biodegradable stuff, just throwing one time, we can reuse it. And it becomes also uh, a plant so that we don't sort of pollute the system so much. So I looked into the water bottling and I got, you know, gallons and stuff, which 
you know, looking at the depths, most most plants are no more than most vegetables don't go past six inches. So I looked at those with the longer sizes, about eight to ten inches. Then I said, listen, with creating my own soil, my own medium, I can put it in this, and if it grows, in that case, I don't really need land to grow. So everybody who has a house that is tiled or concreted, or you live in an apartment, you have a small space, you can grow something hanging off anyway. So that's, that's motivated me. And even more, looking at the health part, I realized that most of the food that we buy from supposed high-end grocery stores <laughs> were processed yeah. or like, or, or food like a chicken and stuff, they've been there for years. All the nutrients are gone. So I'm like, ah, looking at Africa and of course my exposure outside, I realized that our understanding of food is just to feel hunger or satisfy hunger. But it should be a nutritional base. And understanding our old traditional food that we used to eat, the contemporary in the body and all those things, which means that our, our great-great-grandfathers knew our parents knew the, the essence of nutrients in the food. But we are eating these burgers, every pizza, just to, you know, Listen, just, I mean, it's like it's just to satisfy your stomach and taste. Exactly. So, and looking at, you know, life expectancy going down in Africa, looking at lifestyle changing as because of uh, globalization and effect of social media and stuff, I realize that if we also don't position ourselves in a place where our food security, our food as our identity and a culture, part of our culture, if we don't stand up to it, after the other countries or other cultures will come and involve us and we lose everything, like Chinese food, pizza, Indomie, all those things. When, when they were never growing up, I never knew of those. But the stuff that we used to have, whether we're more nutritious, looking at it from this time now, even the way we, we, we package stuff with the leaves and stuff, right, are all gone. So how do we get it back and, we, and put a premium on it so it will look attractive because even the waste of these, I mean, pizza from Italy was for the poor. But looking at the time now, it's now become a luxury in Africa. And the ones that are supposed to be very nutritious around the greens, the natural stuff, the turkey berries, the zincs and all that, we don't, you know, we don't incorporate it in any of our food now. So I, I'm like, listen, let me put things together, position myself where we can think about repackaging African food to make it attractive to the youth and also to this time and possibly create wealth out of it because all these things without a financial backend is not sustainable. And looking at a situation where Chinese is slowly infiltrating all globally through their food, I thought about how can we also use us Chinese to also push us stuff up a bit. So those are the things that sort of influence me. Wow. Starting these things. Wow. It's a very interesting uh, background you have there. And, you know, there are a lot of things that stand out in, in all the things that you've been saying. But, you know, normally when people, especially expats and, uh, you know, all the people in the diaspora come back, they are always trying to, you know, employ some of the things that they have learned back I mean, in, in the States and in Europe and in Asia, all over, back into the country. But then 
you have gone through a different tunnel. You have, you have changed the narrative. You came, you didn't follow the norm. You identified the problem in the society and you tried to fill in the loopholes just by sort of promoting our culture and promoting some of the things like going back to, you know, the natural things. But I want us to go back a little. When you were talking, you made mention about some of the things that you have seen in the society that you are, you are not seeing them anymore. And it seems that it's a problem. But what are some of the main things that you think have contributed to all these things that we are seeing? Like we have abandoned a lot of our cultural things, like some of the meals that we used to eat. Because growing up, even for me, I, I didn't like to eat the local meals. I actually saw, you know, the other meals, like uh, maybe rice or um, fried rice with chicken. Fried rice. Kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw I, those are the things I wanted. And when my mom cooks for me, I, go, I take it to school and I bring it back because I want to eat the things that other people are eating. Right. So what do you think are some of the things that have contributed to this? Is it education or is it cultural um, mix or what is it? You see, it's, it's both ways. Education where it's like your perception or your view of what you have, right? Everything, if it's presented well, you know, culture evolves, yeah. right? Imagine those days, you were reason why they were living that way. Time was not so much of essence and even preservation of the food was eating fresh. Yeah. Here we are, imagine, you're going to school, they give you uh, something like body and PC and uh, which is plantain and by the time you're ready to eat, the oil is already cooked. Exactly. You get it. You've not been able to preserve it in a way or present it in a way where it meets today's time. So then it's not attractive, right? And also, food is also first by the eye and taste, right? When you see chicken, you see, you know, whoa, it looks presentable. When you taste it, it may not look good, right? But the first thing is you have the option to see before you pick. And you pick before you taste. So when you put our food in a way where maybe the way it's presented, it's not so palatable in your eyes. We are food mostly because of the taste and because we know. We get it. But if you look at even the other food, the ingredients are the same. It's the way it's presented. It's presented. Or most, most of them is the way it's presented. The greens and stuff. We go outside, you have colored greens. So even, I normally use the Mexicans, which they're South Americans which they've been able to sort of revolutionize their food to today's time. Something like burrito, right? They'll put beans, rice, meat, everything in a wrap. And it's simple. You can be walking and eating. You don't even have to wash your hands. It's in a wrap. So if somebody like a corporate world, now that the world is seen to more corporate now, if somebody has 30 minutes break, right? They can just pick a burrito and eat. But imagine how many of our food can be served, eat, it can be prepared, served, and eaten in 30 minutes. That can happen to Bufu. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm saying, and also, by the time you, eat, you finish eating the food, you know, it's too heavy, it has too much of carbohydrate, it's not balanced, and you have to go to your day to day work, and it gets hard. You get it? It, it doesn't sort of wear off you, it doesn't digest fast. So I think that it's lack of government or lack of society looking at it from uh, a necessary need. Like your mother, if your mother had thought, okay, let me go, let me reverse. I think the biggest problem with Africans or maybe black people is that we don't do a lot, we don't invest in research and we don't keep records. That's so true. If you do research and records, you can know the time and difference and reasons why things are happening 
or there are differences. Then you can use that to inform you to make decisions to correct, right? But you and I know, since you know Fufu, what has happened to Fufu? Exactly. It's the same. <laughs> the only advance now is they've even made it more fake by adding powder to make it now accessible because they get it. Which means the person doing the powder doesn't even know the, the, the reason why we're using the banchi and the body. Now they use starch or whatever by and just put color, just for you to look alike. You get it? So I think it's something where we Africans or black people also need to look deep into. Because see, food is part of your culture, right? When I went to America, I realized that you see two short people or couple, they will give birth and their child is tall, like a giant. It's mainly because of diet. So even for us to change our mindset, there was a story about up north somewhere, I mean, to quails, right? And a doctor friend of mine was telling me where he came from. There was a time that they used to do a lot of quails. And they realized that almost every child from that village, because of the you know, part of poverty, they, were, they couldn't buy eggs, so they were eating quail eggs, oh. right? But they became so smart that they least became a doctor. And all of them has excelled. And the few research they did went back to that. They were All the kids were using, eating quail at a young time, at a youth age. So these are very vital information that nationally you could have picked up. But guess what? These are so vital stuff that we don't, I mean, it's only previewed to the few. So if it's good information, then of course, we could have been making more money from even, you can even commercialize it. Because if quail can really attribute to good brains and brain development, then it's, a, it's, it's going to be a national asset that we have cocoa. So I, I think that our food itself, if we all look at especially a time like this where we need to boost our immune system and stuff, they will know the, the nutrient value which helps in developing in development. And that could have been a national asset. But we're rather forgetting about that because the rich, we don't want to invest. The technocrats are so lazy, they forget their country because the country doesn't give them the sponsorship to do the research. So they do all the researches to please the developed world. And they also serialize in such a way that by you doing the research, you only complement what they are telling you. Exactly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Recently, I was looking at uh, one of these social media and I saw a, a high-end restaurant serving from a, a plantain leaf. Look at that. And this is something that has been practicing in the villages. When they cook, they use the leaf to cover it, Right. And now, if you're looking at the utensils that we cook from, right? They are now saying we're using titanium. By those days, we use natural stuff, the earth. We so there was no any toxic in you know infiltration in the system. But now they are saying now oh, they still we are using it's not good. Now we we need to look, to, we need to buy titanium. You know, a whole thing. But here we are. The solution to all this is we have it here. But because we've not been able to put value and present it right with the right scientific research. So it's just baseless. And believe me, the time is coming back that they're going to turn around and come and take the same thing from us. Exactly, yeah. I really hope and look forward to that time because all the points that you're raising are super, super, super important conversations that we really need to have. Because, I mean, trust me, these things that we are talking about practically cuts across not just food, or within food security or everything, sustainability, everything. everything. Clothing, I mean, exactly. medicine. Look, you, you've been in Indonesia now, right? Mm -hmm. Look at the herbal medicine market in Asia. It's a multi-billion industry. And what are we doing with our own? Nothing. The trees are here. I mean, <laughs> come on. So to me, I, I, see, I don't know whether 
I don't want to use faith, but no, the good thing is, the Bible talks about there's nothing you under the head, right? And it says if he gives you something and you don't take care of it, he takes it and gives it to somebody else. So I think our our life today confirmed that in the Bible that says he's giving us eating. If you're not going to take care of it, I'm going to take it and give it to somebody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I don't understand it. I mean, if we should keep records, even between me and you, right? Do you know how old your your great great grandfather lived? Or what was the oldest age somebody has lived in the family? I think in the 90s, I think. Yes. Did they give any records? Why? All the matter. So you, you come and you have to start your own journey. Exactly. So we have a part of many, many uncompleted journey. And it's not growing. But if you look at these people, they'll tell you generational this, you know, this is you know, hereditary, this is that, that. And there, there are traces. So with that, if you really need to advance, it's just go to the source. Here, I mean, I mean, I've my own town. I've only been there twice. Do you get it? <laughs> so all these, I'm telling you, and because we are comparing us, America is no man's land. It is run by constitution. But Africa, we have a roots. We have roots, yes. And you see, you should be able to assess your roots. If I have been to my hometown twice, how much more my child? He may never know where he came from. <laughs> Do you get it? And it's only because we've not made it attractive. We've not taken time to make it that way. I really hope that we can we can build these kind of conversations more in in these days because these are the kind of things that we really need to talk about to get to the actualization to realize that this is what we have to do because honestly if you realize how patriotic I mean people are to their own culture we'll be really surprised. I've worked with a lot of Chinese people and how they they appreciate their country, how they appreciate their culture. It's, it's so strong. They will never leave it for anything, right? And and really, you mentioned two main points about placing value and also researching into our own culture and trying to, you know, adjust this to evolve also with how the world is moving and so that we can also get back to it. But, you know, this brings me back because we need to get back on our, our topic that we are talking about today because there are lots of stereotypes that people have about if they have to grow their own food or if they have to go into agriculture or if they have to go into, you know, things that sort of have been tagged like a dirty job, right? There are a lot of stereotypes there. But how did you evolve past this? And what are some of the stereotypes that probably I'm sure that whilst you started this whole project, people were saying that, why are you doing this? And people saw that, I mean, you just come back from the US to live in Ghana and this is all you have to offer. Uh, first of all, I think it's ignorant. One, they say that the day the last few dies, the last human dies. When you look at your human being, as we are, we take in oxygen, we give out carbon. The trees, and the vegetation takes in carbon and give out oxygen. So, if pollution is now a threat, it only makes sense to live close to nature, right? And even when you look, when you travel outside, the super rich, they don't live in the cities. They have the offices, but believe me, they, he works in Manhattan by his main house in Connecticut, and he's seen an acre where he has nothing but trees. <laughs> Do you get it? That's right. So I've had it all. I mean, blessed, I've had it all. But I ask myself, at the end of the day, right, we have a process of life. You're young, you're going to go to other, eventually you're going to die. But something got to kill you, right? But you have a will to protect, or you have a will of prolonging your death or your life life, right? And it's not so much about money, if people get to know. The things that God gave us to protect our life, most of it are priceless. Yeah. And it's our choice. You get it? It's even clearer now today. 
right? That when, when, we, when we went through lockdown, what did your car do for you? Nothing. You had people had our <laughs> friends who had groceries, they couldn't, people even can't fly their jets. But you, you needed to eat. These things are basic life. And even by my faith, we came from dust. So we're going back to dust. So if you tell me, yes, I believe in hygiene, but being farming is dirty, then you've not even really done the numbers right. At all. Because during the corona, you couldn't go to your office, but you were eating. Nobody was contributing towards your, your service, but you are spending on to the farmer. So it's smart even to look at it. Now listen, farming is more not of the peasant, but farming can be looked at into good business. Except that in the developing world, we don't have a lot of subsidies and the infrastructure base is so hard. So, and you know, it makes farming. But if you look at critical farming, especially in Africa, I think it's one of the most secure jobs you can ever do if you do it right. Except it needs a lot of investment, a lot of policies and programs that the government needs to support and all that. But that aside, it's also a niche that you with a little capital can start. And it's the only business that you don't really need much to start. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you don't really need much. It could be a side business. You don't have to do it full time. And the benefits is, is, is great. So it's only ignorant people who think that farming is a dirty job. They tell me all the time, they think I'm crazy. But when I'm eating my salad and I'm feeling the goodness in it and the nutrients and how it's changing my body, I don't know how what, what craziness is about. If that is craziness, then I'd rather be crazy. This is sort of an indication to lots of people. And I hope that all our listeners out there are going to pick up bits from this conversation because we really want to change the narrative in people's lives. And let us understand that, I mean, these issues that we are talking about are really real. There is also youth unemployment and I mean, so many issues all around. This is one of the huge solutions to all of most of the social problems that we have. And so I really hope that lots of people can, you know, get, you know, some insights and probably get in touch with you to learn more from some of your operations. But let's move forward to talk more about your company and what exactly you've been doing, because we've been, you know, talking about highlights and so many things and food security, um, recycling, sustainable, um, urban sustainability. I mean, we've mentioned so many things all over. But what exactly is your company doing now? Can you introduce us? Um, Bath Organic Farms and Agrotech, and let us know how you guys operate. How do you guys connect? What are some of the approaches you guys are adapting? Tell us how a day looks like in in your company and what you're offering to the people. Truthfully speaking, it sounds discouraging because the average person doesn't see food as so important. It's it's something that you, you need passion and maybe other means to afford to be able to do what I'm doing. Be honestly because. You see, when somebody sees maybe uh, lettuce, for instance, they don't know the difference. They get it. So why would I buy organic lettuce for maybe 50% more than the regular one, right? They didn't. Because, because they don't know, they don't put the value to it. So it's hard for marketing and for business. But because it's my passion and I enjoy it myself and I'm using it as my medicine instead of my medicine, I try to look over it. So my main thing is, okay, for me to contribute, I have to be able to grow enough to be able to scale it down so that the price will be affordable. So that's what we are working on. Because average Guinean don't believe in spending high for food. They'll buy clothes, they'll buy everything, but when it comes to what they're taking as food, 
they don't want to spend too much for it unless it's meat that they are chewing, right? It's, it is not something that is easy. It's, I would say it's an awakening market that needs the strong support. And some of us have to sacrifice to push it. And even in America, when you go to Whole Food, you see the difference. Right? You go to regular shop rights or any other of these grocery stores, you see the majority patronizers. So the organic and the agrotech that we are bringing on board here, few people will dare Plus, looking at the environment and uh, pest control and other stuff that you can you say, I'm not going to use anything, it's like nearly impossible Yeah. for business. But I'm looking at it from this way. Life is priceless. Mm-hmm. So if anything that you can do to extend and preserve life, you don't, put, you don't have to monetize it. Because no amount of money when you are dying can save you. <laughs> Not at all. Saying, so, yeah, so I rather I rather save myself by spending the money now and my time into the right. Mm-hmm. So that way, even if I we're all going to die one day, but then I will I'll die well and also at my time. You get it, and so that is the reason. That, but as to the company, truly, 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 uh, it's been a lot of up and downs. I am not discouraged because my vision is clear. We have a uh, integrated will farming where we have animals so when the, the things get to a point where it's overgrown or you can't sell it we use it to feed the animals so that way we know that the animals are also organically fed so that also kept down on the risks and the costs and like i told you about the food industry for instance i have an issue with the imported chicken so i came around and looked into the rabbits rabbits as as a protein and looking at it where it's got it's a, vegeta- it's a vegetarian, you can feed it with vegetables which or greens, which is easily found around here. I started investing into it. And one of my ideas is to make sure that one day, instead of eating imported chicken, we can grow our own rabbit, which is tastier, locally breed, and they, they multiply fast. So economically, we can be able to meet up and the size is okay. So those, those are one of the things that I'm trying to push for our food, and also the quality of the food that we eat. So it's tough. We are having a lot of problems also with seeds. So one of our dreams is most of the seeds that we grow, I buy helium seeds, I import them and stuff. And we are slowly trying to save if we can keep our own seeds. So eventually, we can have our own original seeds, which we know are organically grown or are organic seeds. So it's a process we are doing. The dream is big, the vision is big, and we know we're not going to get it easy, but we know we're going to get it. Yeah, we're not stopping. <laughs> no, 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 nothing can stop us now. Yeah. yeah, earlier when you were introducing yourself, you made mention about some of the projects that you guys are doing um, with recycling, uh, you know, these plastics and using them for people who do not have enough land space around their buildings. And, you know, the bigger dream of urban sustainable development and you know, you have so many things that you guys are doing, but I want us to educate people more about, you know, some of the processes that you're doing and to change some of the narratives that are surrounding in the environment so that people can realize that, okay, these are some of the places that I can explore. And these are some of the areas that I can even get in touch with uh, Buff and we can see how we can collaborate. If we change our ways and decide to go this way, what are some of the benefits that we can get out of this? If we are also to come to Bath Organic Farms right now, 
what are some of the main services that we can get? So I want you to combine these things and maybe have a, a little bit of conversation around this. There's this inner joy and satisfaction from eating what you want to go. Now, you see, the cost of living is getting high. And also, God created multiplication through vegetation. Just take a bunch of just one tomatoes, right? When you carry, how many seeds do you have? Man? Lots. Right? And so, a lot. So I can just go to the market, right? And even, even the waste, the rotted one that I'm going to throw away, if I put in a place where it could grow able land, before you realize, you've got tomatoes springing up. So it's something that is very cost-effective. I, I would advise that everybody can just get up and start something. Make the effort to look into stuff like, hey, where are these backyard farmers? Are? Let me go see how, what they are doing. You know, and believe me, your life may change forever. That's my day. So it's going to be hard to say this, this, and that. Of course, the benefits, like, you know your food is there, the joy, everything. Because other people's means of joy are more tangible now, it's hard to put, evaluate it with that tangibility, if that makes sense. Exactly, yeah, it does. Somebody won't have a car, and you tell me, oh, if I have a car, I'm happy. And you tell me, look, if, if you are going plants, you can have the same joy. It's two different things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's something that, I mean, it's like, hey, you don't see it, but it's this. Yeah. Now, Mr. Buffo, someone might say that, okay, I understand what you're saying. I think there is a necessity for us to, you know, do these things for our own health and also for for the environment as well. And as you mentioned earlier, it's also going to create jobs. I mean, there are so many advantages of this. But someone will say, I'm a corporate person. I'm working in the bank. I'm working in the hospital. I'm, 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 I don't know. I'm working. I'm a trader. I'm a carpenter. I'm this. I'm that. I don't have time and I don't have space. What what would be that advice? Where Where's the starting point? You made mention that maybe we can also explore these things, research a little bit about it, even come to your farm and observe some of the things that you're doing. But what is the first point for someone thinking like this? There's nothing like time. You have to make time. Like I said, you sit back and ask yourself, what is the basic? A lot of great things started from the basic. Right. So if you ask yourself, okay, you work in a bank at a stressful day, when you come home, right, you've been in air conditioning all the time, so your oxidation level is low. Mm-hmm. You can start by even doing indoor plants. Exactly. Yeah. And by it's so relaxing and even just coming home to water your plant, that takes that few minutes of your day-to-day hustle life. As you keep doing, you realize how it's changing your life. Right. So that's what I said. At times, it's not so tangible. It's something yeah, that you have right. to do it to see it. Why do you think people have pets? After hard days, you come home and your pet is shaking and they're like, whoa. You <laughs> see, it takes you out of your mood. And before you realize, you know what I'm saying? It saves your life without even realizing. And that's how plants are. You know, imagine Rose, you wake up in the morning, you know, your, your flower is springing up. The joy is something God puts in our life that we need. Right. But because it's not tangible, People don't put value to it. And when you start looking at it from that point, well, look, you know what? I, you know, this is my partner. This is somebody that needs me and I need them because they need the carbon, I need the oxygen. Then you feel, you begin to connect and you believe me, it even helps you to connect to people who might be better. It doesn't even have to be edible farm. Even though we are pushing for the edible, right? There are people in horticulture and other stuff and it's amazing. You get except that in this era, 
I think the edible farming is, I mean, I'm doing more edible landscape than the flower or the horticulture. Right. But even that, the therapy that people get and the attachment and the satisfaction, why do you think we give flowers when people are happy or give flowers when people are sad? It's supposed to light you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it's something that I pray that everybody will have opportunity. If you cooperate, even if you spend 10 minutes of your time before you realize when you retire, you have something to do. Because people retire and they are bored, there's nothing to do. But it is something that will win you off your day-to-day life and give you life, a better life, I call it. I really love the points that you have you have raised here. And I believe that, I mean, if you're listening to this conversation and you think that, I mean, this is something that you would like to get yourself into, or you think that you would like to know more about what we're talking about, Mr. Buffo's details and his uh, WhatsApp number, social media and other things are going to be in the show notes. So just dive into the show notes and get to know more, get in touch with him. I mean, I love this vision that he has. And I think that is something that individually, even communities, families should get together and start these kind of initiatives. It's super important for our well-being, national development, and even, I mean, so many things that we cannot even think of. There's plastic pollution all over. And I like the fact that he has set time to actually include all these things in his initiative. So, Mr. Bavo, let's get back. I mean, we've had a very interesting conversation so far. I want to ask you, what is the big vision? You made mention of, you know, getting into real estates to actually solve some of the issues over there. We, you mentioned about, uh, you know, vertical farming. But I want to ask you that, what is the vision now? What Where do you want to see yourself in the next five years? And then tell us about how people can also collaborate in that sense. Because if people get to know that, okay, I can collaborate with Buff in, in this particular area, then why not? Maybe I can invest into it. Uh, the vision is big and quite diversified. In Ghana, for instance, I'm trying to look at something where it's more like connected to the indigenous way of life. I realize that we spend so much money in blocks and concretes in buildings. And uh, and the prices by which we sell in these things, land and stuff is too much. And uh, only because it's tied to the foreign experts who come to the country, they're trying to leave proximity to the airport in case of anything, evacuation <laughs> and the hike, right? But you as an indigenous Guinean, you don't have to. So my vision is going back the African way, which is the village way, the community way, and also a sustainable way. In the olden days, the little research I realized was that people in the small villages, they grow different stuff, and at times they share or they do butter trade among themselves. And even the way they build their houses with these small homes, some of them have been for 100 years, and all they do is periodically, they they, they, you know, they plaster with the same mud, right? So I'm trying to go back. Looking at the concrete and stuff, the, the cement, the chemicals and stuff we use in cement and building, and how they portray the air and all that. I want a system where we can set our, our village structures, mm-hmm. the old time village structure with the mud and the log and all that, yeah. to suit today's life, considering all other needs. So it becomes like you don't even need air conditioning because the trees and the vegetation are around. So we're looking at lots like 100 acre plots in strategic areas and developing it by acre by acre where each and everybody will live on an acre where you have your house, which is ecosystem built 
eco-friendly, preferably off-grid, so you can control your water and lights through solar and other windmill. Then your your way of life, which is if you are vegan, you have everything that to support you, a nursery which will give you the seedlings or what you need, and the agricultural support system. So that becomes the way of life as an African. Yeah, because a time is coming. If you only depend on pizza and you cannot get the cheese from Italy or the tomato paste, <laughs> I'm gonna do vegan. But we should be able to do stuff that we can, you know. Not only will we have our social capital, which is the connection of people like people of like-minded That's living right. together, right? We create communities of like-minded people who understand nature and also ecosystem, right? And in so doing, we can all help and develop and make the world a better nation. A better world second from Africa and Ghana. You know, in our great sector is huge. Very long supply chain. Are, yeah, supply chain. People adding value, people with technology, people with marketing, advertising. So I think it's something that is open. And uh, depending upon your interest, we are more than willing to accept. It's an open, open office. It's an open farm. It's an open family. People can come. And whatever contribution... It's quite valid to us. It's not your time, knowledge, capital, investment, everything. But it's a big picture. You can look at it from an investment point where, to me, agriculture is one of the few things in Ghana that you can get 30% within, within six months. Yeah. Right? So we can come and talk numbers. And like I said, I've, I use these numbers as always. Looking at 1% of the population, which is 300,000. If you can identify a product, a community or service that can service 1% of the population, giving you six cities a month, I'm not talking about a day, where six cities is equal to a dollar, which means you're making $300,000 a month, which is $3.6 million a year. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it can be some simple thing that making sure something like pepper, ginger, tomatoes, onions, all year round, you control the chain or you control certain parts by you targeting 1% of the population. So the numbers make sense. The logistics and the challenges are there, but that is why a business fund has to be innovative. We need more or less the IT system in here, the blockchain system in here to make, you know, mechanized system easier, irrigation and all that. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. And I think especially people from the diaspora or people who want to diversify, this is the time. This is the time. From the real estate end to the land banking, you can do land banking, waterfront banking, the water banking. There's so much that needs to be done and all can be monetized as well. So to me, it's like giving you a book. You get it, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. And Mr. Buffer, yeah. are you doing training as well? Are you training people with these skills? Uh, people come through, but honestly, 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 it's sad to say. They're not serious. You see, the sacrifice that they need, they don't have it. They get it. They get, you know, and I started from nowhere. And it's like, you know, you everything in life you build upon. But people just want to have it like now and have it now. So, you know, people have come through, I've set one or two people up, but, you know, they go and, you know, they get, you know, confused. They don't know what they want. And so it's, 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 it's me. 
at times it gets a bit discouraging, but like I said, it's my vision. I'm trying to pull along as many people as I can, and nothing will stop me. But people come through for training. Mm-hmm. So, which means that I mean, more people can come in if you think that you are interested in these things. You can also go in to yes. uh, see Mr. Bafo for uh, some training. Yeah, so yeah, training is free. Yeah, so th- this has been a very interesting conversation. To be very honest with you, I'm really inspired about you know, the products and the the initiatives that you have. And the vision is really, really big. I really hope that someone listening to this conversation will tag someone who really needs to hear this. Let's get the authorities, the society, the, um, uh, the district assemblies, the municipal assemblies to get to hear about this initiative because this is sort of like a communal responsibility, a family responsibility, individual responsibility that we can take to actually improve our livelihoods. And I'm looking forward to, you know, greater things happening for sure. It's something that I'm personally interested in and I hope that uh, we can get in touch and keep in touch and see how we can, you know, work together, of course. But I have one final question to ask you that, I mean, I mean, this sector that you are in is a very, uh, maybe for lack of a better word, I will just use controversial because it's people have a lot of stereotypes about it. But if you have the chance to change just one thing about people's behavior within, let's say, food security and sustainability and environmental protection and all that, what one thing would you change about people's lifestyle and behavior? You see, change is it's, it's just a word, but then it's deeper. Yeah. What I think is look within yourself. You love yourself. If you love yourself, you love your surroundings because you are responsible for your surroundings. Your surroundings are responsible for you, right? So I think people are looking more at the outer rather than inner, right? And the joy, not the happiness. You, you get happiness from the outer, but the joy of doing these things, right, is priceless. But if you want to look outer, then you're missing a lot because if you don't start looking at your inner, it will end up taking over you, and it may be too late. You throw things on the ground, it creates mosquitoes, you choke their gutters, and the mosquitoes bite you, you get malaria, you die. But you don't realize when you're throwing things out. You get it? So it's just, the world is like a, a, a dependence on each other and a system that you cannot just lay on concern and, you know, and think things will just work. We all have a part to play in the you know in the, in the ecosystem, in the environmental, in humanity, and life to make it better. You don't just say it's not the money; it's your effort, your concern, and your 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 joy of doing it. You get it. That's what we all need to think about. We knew all of our mind to see that nature is what keeps us, and we have to keep it. Look at our waters, right? Look at the municipal, and I just let me bring this in. Look, you go to the cities, right? They say there are no jobs. But look at all these, oh, that land lying there. If the municipal should work with the youth, right? And even do just tree planting, right? And, you know, there's so much we can do. The whole, all around the, like in the cities, or you go to every city in this Africa, is covered by squatters. Right. Meanwhile, we can beautify these trees. We can we can do things where vegetation will purify the air, and itself, you know, it's, it, it gives awakening. If you go to a place where the scenery is nice, psychologically it affects you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, 
So by so doing, if we can change people's mind by starting creating nice sceneries, right? Nice vegetation. And believe me, people will become, it will become, it will draw their, it will draw or gravitate towards that. True. I really thank you so much, Mr. Bafo, for these insights and for sharing your thoughts with us here on the Green Living Chat. And as I've mentioned already, if you have enjoyed this and you thought there is a piece in what we are discussing today, just dive into the show notes and get in touch with Mr. Bafo or get in touch with the farm to get to know more about these uh, projects that you're doing and understand these things more because our health is super, super, super important. So on this note, thank you so much, Mr. Buffo, for joining me today on the Green Living Chat. And I'm really looking forward to more. Hopefully we can talk again in a couple of months to see what the progress has been and, and what people think about your projects and, you know, if there has been an impact that we have made in people's lives. So thank you so much for coming. Pleasure, and you are always welcome. It's, it's a family now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, brother. All right, and, 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 and have a happy holiday. You All too. Right. Have a happy holidays to you. <laughs> right. Take care, Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Green Living Chats podcast. This initiative is to educate and create awareness on things that really matter. We look forward to hearing your thoughts and comments as we get interactive on our social media platforms at Echo Amit Solutions on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube and LinkedIn. If you would like to be part of these conversations, contact us via email at glcpodcasts at echoamedsolutions.com or see our contact details in the show notes. See you on the next episode and remember, live green.